Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. I was in 1 Timothy. One of the verses we've looked at that we've kind of moved from one uh, series into this series is in uh, this passage is found in Second Timothy chapter three. He said, "For this you know in the last days, or know this rather in the last days, perilous times will will come." And uh, then he goes on to describe how the ungodly will be in these last days. And he said, uh, uh, verse fourteen, "But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of." knowing from whom you have learned them. So the, the, the first and most important key to not uh, falling into the ways of this world and not being moved into uh, the things that, uh, that wicked and ungodly men fall into, he said, continue in the things you've heard. And, uh, and he said, the things you've, you've learned and been assured of, knowing from you, whom you've heard them. And the next verse says, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. I pointed this out in a, in a recent service when he said that. He couldn't have been talking about the New Testament because the New Testament hadn't been written. They didn't have a New Testament. From childhood, Timothy from childhood had known the Holy Scriptures. So that had to be the Old Covenant. What I'm saying here is the basics. He said you need to go back and... and, and, and uh, refresh yourself, continue in the basics as well as the further truth and, and further revelation that has come and is coming. Amen. And so, uh, you know, it seemed good to me and to the Holy Spirit to go over some basics because what did it say about them? They're able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And, uh, and so we, we, from time to time, it's good to reestablish ourselves so that we make sure we continue in the things which we've learned. Years ago, I, I, I taught a series and, uh, and talked about backsliding. When we think about backsliding, classically backsliding or the backslidden Christian, we typically think of a person who was once you know, saved and, and on fire for God and following God at least, and then they drifted away and, and stopped coming to church and, and uh, either have just, you know, fallen out of church or a lot of times gone back into some, some old lifestyles, uh, letting the flesh dominate them, and so we consider them backslidden conditions. But you can sit right here in church, be here every Sunday, and still backslide. See, when you leave the, the, the freshness and the fresh experience of things that you know and things that you've walked in and things that were real in your life. When, when, you, when you drift away from those things and those things are no longer real, you won't be living those truths though you know them and believe in them. See, you'll know them and believe in them and you'll raise your hand and shout, you know, amen every now and then, but that doesn't mean that you're actually... You're actually having those things working in your life. Amen. And so it's necessary for us to uh, uh, 
to refresh ourselves. And so last week we talked about uh, the new birth and the new creation. We introduced it, you know, in the terms of the new birth, but really it's the new birth is the recreation of the human spirit. And so we talked about that. And of course, that is fundamental. And, uh, and, and it's good to talk about all the fundamentals. I, I, I often think of uh, the, the legendary coach, you know, uh, Lombardi. What was his name? Vince Lombardi. Yeah, Bobby Bowden, right. Vince Lombardi, <laughs> he was, uh, you know, he, he, back in the 60s, uh, who did, who, what team did he? Green Bay Packers, yeah. He, he was the coach of the Green Bay Packers and they had experienced a disappointing season. So during the off season, you know, he, he's trying to think, well, what, you know, what, what's wrong? What are we doing wrong? And in July of that year, when, when the team came back to begin spring training and, you know, so forth, uh, he had figured out what the problem was. They had drifted away from the basics. And so it's famous now, his quote, it says that uh, he met the team, they all gathered together, and he took, he took a football and he said, gentlemen, this is a football. In other words, it can't get any more basic. Than, we're getting back to the basics. Gentlemen, this is a football. And with that, he started laying the basics, line upon line, precept upon precept, because he realized if you're not executing the basics, you're not going to win football games. Well, we're not going to win in life as a Christian unless we execute the basics. Amen. And so it's good to, it's good to do the same thing. So ladies and gentlemen, this is the Bible. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So we talked about uh, the new birth and the new creation. Today I want to talk about the baptism of, uh, with the Holy Spirit. And I found out this morning that today is Pentecost Sunday. Is that right? I, I wasn't even aware of that because I don't keep up with, you know, dates and all that sort of thing, you know. So this is fitting today that we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit because it is fundamental to our Christian life. In fact, the first thing a person needs who is unsaved, they need to be born again. The very next thing that person needs, and I can prove it from the scriptures, is they need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit before they do anything else. Amen. Now, well, I'll just have to show you that as we get into it, that thought. Keep, keep me reminded of the thought that you don't know that I just had. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. If you've been taught that the baptism with the Holy Spirit is not for today and that speaking in tongues is extreme or fanatical or if you have the opinion, well, it's okay for some but not for me. In other words, it's not really necessary for everybody. You're really all that important. I ask you to please keep an open mind and let the Bible be the last word on the subject. That's always a good idea. Amen. Now, to be clear... The Bible does not teach that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is necessary for salvation. It isn't. It's a separate experience altogether. Our church does not hold that you have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit to be a member of our church. And to be certain, no one uh, at impact looks down on anybody, uh, any other Christian that's not filled with the Holy Spirit. 
we want people to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but we don't look down our nose at anybody. Uh, uh, but uh, we just we just want everybody to have everything that God has for them. Amen. So if I, so if we can show conclusively from the Word of God that this experience is something God intends uh, every believer to have, then I am confident that sincere Christians who want all God has for them, I'm, I'm confident they will also want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. We don't believe in religious coercion. Uh, that's never exempt, uh, acceptable, but we, but we will let the love of the Spirit win the hearts of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. Amen. Go with me to Acts chapter 17. I love this, this story. It's just such a wonderful statement in this verse. In Acts chapter 17, Paul had been ministering in, in Thessalonica, and uh, there was a, a lot of trouble. And uh, the Thessalonians, you know, uh, uh, persecuted him. And so uh, they left, Paul and Silas left by night and came to Berea. And this is verse 10. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now, I love this statement in verse 11. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness. The older King James says readiness of mind. They, they received the word of God with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Hallelujah. I challenge anybody and everyone to be fair-minded. Receive the word of God with all readiness of mind and search the scriptures daily to find out whether these things are so. Amen? So we're going to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost Sunday. Praise the Lord. Go with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28. And we're first going to establish some terminology because a lot of times people hear, particularly if you've come from a a church background uh, or from the world and you've heard negative things about the Holy Spirit, you don't really, very often people don't really understand that these expressions are not just things people made up, but these are These are expressions and terms that are in the Word of God. And they're very consistent. And so we need to to be open to these things. Amen? Now, in the 28th chapter of Matthew and the 16th chapter of Mark and the 24th chapter of Luke and in the first chapter of Acts, we'll get to all of those in a minute. Uh, In each one of those passages we have. Now, John, you notice I didn't include John's gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts, we have a retelling of Jesus's final instructions to the disciples. Now, uh, concerning the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, in John's gospel, we have some other things. Now, in John's gospel, there's three different chapters, chapter 13, 14, or, or, or 13, four chapters, 13, 14, 15, and 16 that are devoted to uh, things concerning the spirit. He's talking about things that would apply to the church. And Jesus gave those instructions on the night in which he was crucified. Okay, those are his, his final words before he, he was arrested and went to the cross. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts, 
We have his final words after he had been raised from the dead and just before he ascended into heaven. And on both of those occasions, those final words occasions, it was about the Holy Spirit. Amen? Now, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke with the, the synoptic gospels, in Matthew and, and, and uh, Mark's gospel, he doesn't really mention the Holy Spirit, but it was the same event. Matthew recorded what Jesus said just before he went to heaven. Mark recorded what Jesus said just before he went to heaven. Luke recorded just what Jesus said just before he went to heaven. And then, and then he restated it in, in the book of Acts. In Matthew, you'll see in the 16th chapter, it says that uh, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Of course, this is water baptism. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. If we come over to Mark's gospel in the 16th chapter, Jesus said unto them, this is the same great commission, called the Great Commission. This is the Great Commission message that he gave. Matthew recorded it one way. Uh, Mark adds some things that Matthew didn't record, but Jesus said all of it. Jesus said here in verse 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs, amen. And then if you go on over to Luke's gospel... And we're going to focus on Luke's gospel and the book of Acts because Jesus did not specifically, or or Matthew and Mark, put it that way, Matthew and Mark, uh, their uh, telling of the Great Commission did not specifically mention the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but Luke's does, and so does the book of Acts. So in in, uh, the 24th chapter of Luke, then he said to them, this is in verse 46, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. That word endued in the Greek literally means clothed upon. He said, stay in the, tarry in the, <clears throat> in the city of Jerusalem until you are clothed upon with power from on high. I want to I direct your attention to three aspects of this verse, three different things. Number one is the promise of my father. Let that expression stick in your mind, the promise of my father. Then the next expression is tarry or wait in the city of Jerusalem. And number three, until you are clothed upon with power from on high. Now, that's what Jesus said as recorded by Luke. Now, we know that Luke wrote, obviously, the gospel that bears his name. Luke also wrote uh, the book of Acts. 
In fact, the book of Acts is really part two. We don't have time today, but if you go back to Luke chapter one, you'll see that Luke wrote his gospel and directed it toward a particular man. His name was Theophilus. We don't know a whole lot about Theophilus. He's, this is the only place he's mentioned in the scriptures, but he called him most excellent Theophilus. So he evidently was a person of great stature. Uh, incidentally, Paul refer, or Luke referred uh, to uh, Felix and, and, and Festus, the two uh, Roman officials who interrogated Paul. He also called them, I think it was Paul's address when he called them most excellent, uh, uh, was it Festus or the, uh, Felix? I think it was Felix. He said most excellent Felix. So that expression, most excellent, referred there to a high-ranking Roman official. So we can guess that Theophilus was perhaps a high-ranking Roman official, but at least he was somebody of significance. And so Paul, uh, Luke wrote his, his uh, gospel to Theophilus so that Theophilus would have an understanding of the, of the life of Christ from his birth. And he starts out right after he makes that salutation in chapter one, he begins with, with he, I mean, he goes back further than, than the other gospel writer does. He goes back to Zacharias and Elizabeth and the, and the miraculous conception and birth of, of uh, John the Baptist. So he goes back even a little bit further and then he takes Theophilus all through the, the life of Christ up until the time uh, he ascended into heaven. Then in the book of Acts, turn over there, chapter one, he again addresses Theophilus. He said, the former account, the former account I made, talking about the gospel of Luke, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to his apostles whom he had chosen. Notice Jesus gave certain commandments to his apostles just before he was taken up into heaven. And he said, uh, to whom, verse 3, he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom. So uh, 40 days passed from the resurrection until uh, Jesus ascended into heaven. And uh, during this time, it says in verse 4, being assembled together with them, now here he's, he's, he's recounting the Great Commission. Being assembled together with them, he commanded them. This is one of those commands. He commanded them to not depart from Jerusalem. Well, we saw that in, in Luke chapter 24, didn't we? If you go, keep your finger in Luke 24. Hold it there because we're going to flip back and forth. Luke 24, he said, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem, verse 49. Well, here in Acts chapter 1, he says he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. Well, that would be to tarry in Jerusalem. But notice, but to wait for the promise of the Father. If you flip back to Luke, it says, behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. And, and then he said in, in Luke's gospel, he said, tarry in Jerusalem until you are clothed upon with power from on high. Now, in the book of Acts, in these two verses here where he commanded them to not depart from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said you have heard from me. He, he, he didn't talk about being clothed with power on, on high, from on high. He, instead, he said, for John truly baptized with water, 
but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, the disciples, uh, they got distracted. You know, they, they talked when they should have been listening. Have you ever met anybody like that? They, they interrupted him and they said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Notice here that, that Luke in, in, the fir, in, the, in the first chapter of Acts, he ties receiving power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to verse 5, you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The imagery of the Holy Spirit coming upon you is drawn from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, when uh, the prophet would anoint the priest and the king for their sacred work, he would take a flask of oil. And, and we all know that oil in the Old Testament was a, was a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And he would take that oil and he would pour it out on the head of the, of the, of the king or the priest. And the Bible said that it would run down off of his head and, and, and all over his body and drip down on, off of his clothes onto the ground. In other words, he was, he, the, the oil was poured out upon him and that oil was a symbol of the outpouring of the Spirit and that's what he's talking about here because he says in verse 8, this is Luke 1, 8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And we'll see other uh, verses when we get further in the book of Acts how the Holy Spirit was poured out upon people. So the Holy Spirit being poured out or the Holy Spirit coming upon them is synonymous with being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Because if you were baptized with the Holy Spirit, you would be covered with the Holy Spirit, wouldn't you? I mean, the Holy Spirit would be all over you. And so I want you to see that, that Luke is writing both his gospel and the book of Acts. And he talks about three things in both of these places. He talks about the promise of the Father. He talks about uh, the uh, uh, don't tarry. I mean, don't leave Jerusalem. Tarry in Jerusalem. Don't leave until you get this experience. And number three, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon you. Well, this is, this is very important because it was Jesus' final instructions to the disciples. He said... You're going to go into all the world and preach the gospel, but don't go until you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, where do we get the expression filled with the Holy Spirit? If you're going over to chapter... Now, in, uh, let's go back to, to chapter 1, verse 5 again. John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Well, it turns out it was 10 days later. The Feast of Pentecost was 50 days after uh, the Passover. Well, we know that Jesus, after he'd been raised from the dead, was there 40 days. And now another 10 days take place, and the day of Pentecost came. And the day of Pentecost was, was the feast in Jerusalem that, that uh, everybody was awaiting after the, uh, after the Passover. So 10 days came in, 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 uh, to pass. In verse chapter 2, verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come... They were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house 
where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. Notice this happened to the 120. It wasn't just uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It wasn't just, you know, the, the apostles. It was the entire 120, all lay people and those who were called to be apostles. It says, one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with tongues, other tongues, as the Spirit gave utterance. So we can see that the promise of the Father that Jesus talked about, that he told them to wait in the the city of Jerusalem, don't go out and start preaching the gospel. Don't go into all the world. Don't do anything. Wait in the, in, in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued, endued, clothed upon, baptized with, and in this chapter, it, it's referred to as being filled with the Holy Spirit. The reason Jesus told them to not go anywhere until they were filled with the Spirit was because they would need it to accomplish the work. It is absolutely critical. And, it, and again, let me, let me stress, it wasn't just the apostles. It was everybody in the upper room. There were about, the Bible says there was about 120 people there. So the majority of the people in the upper room were lay people and it was important for them as well as the apostles to not go anywhere until they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, why was it important? Go back to chapter one and look at verse number eight. This is so critical. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you And you shall be witnesses, hallelujah, to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He said, in order to carry the gospel to the world, you're going to need power in your life. He said, when the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit isn't about just a spiritual experience. It is a spiritual experience, but it's not just about having an experience. It's about receiving power to be a witness for Christ. Now, it's always stood out to me that he said, you shall be witnesses to me. He didn't say you shall do witnessing. Now, we do do witnessing. Absolutely. But that's not, that's not how he worded this. He didn't say, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall uh, witness for me. He said, you shall be witnesses for me. It's all about uh, being a powerful witness for Christ. You can be a witness for Christ without power or you can be a witness for Christ with power. Anybody have any idea which would be better? (laughs) A powerful witness is not an ordinary witness. A powerful witness is not an ordinary witness. You've seen probably on TV or in the movies, you know, some uh, rendition, you know, of of a a real uh, emotional court hearing where someone, you know, takes the stand and they they begin to give a, a... a witness of something that they've seen. And they do it with such passion. Maybe there was a a crime committed 
and a person who maybe may the person that that the that uh, the crime was committed against is alive, and they face their accuser, and they sit on that stand and they begin to tell what happens. Without question, it is always a gripping, compelling. I mean, people begin to weep because this person can describe it like nobody else can. They were there. It happened to them. And I tell you what, when you get that kind of, the, the, whichever side that witness is on, whether it's for the defense or for the prosecution, the other side, they'll do anything from keep, to keep that person off the stand. Because it's a powerful witness. And that's the witness that God intends for us to be. He intends that we be a powerful witness, a compelling witness, a moving witness. The thing that wins the day is, is a compelling witness and the other side is proof. When you can stand before a jury and produce proof, evidence, fact-based evidence, evidence. Now, when's the case? When's the case? He said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses, powerful witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Go back to Mark's account, Mark chapter 16. Let's look at the evidence, the fact-based evidence. Now, Jesus rose from the dead, and for 40 days, he mingled with his disciples, the apostles and the others. And uh, he was seen by hundreds of people alive after he'd been raised from the dead. They saw him. They knew he had been raised from the dead. He did not evidently appear to unbelievers. He evidently only appeared to people who believed in him. Well, that's wonderful. I'm sure if you were there, you would have been felt honored to be in that crowd. The only problem is he didn't stay around. He left. I mean, he went up into the air and disappeared in the clouds. After he had told them, you go out and tell everybody that I've been raised from the dead. Well, it's, it's easy to tell people, you, you know, somebody's been raised from the dead when you, can take him and, when you can take somebody and show him. Here's the man that was raised from the dead. Remember, he was crucified. Here he is. That's pretty easy. But when he's not there, what are you going to tell people now? Well, you, you, oh, yeah, I saw him crucified. Yeah, but he was raised from the dead. Oh, really? What evidence do you have for that? Well, thank God, the Bible empowered us, God empowered us with evidence, compelling evidence to give to people. Look at uh, Mark 16. Verse 15 says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, don't go. Jesus went on to say, we know he said it, don't, don't go, just, don't just run off. Wait until, wait, wait just a few more days, not many days from now, and the Holy Spirit's going to come upon me. Don't wait until you receive the promise of the Father. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs, 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 
everywhere signs. These signs will follow those who believe. God intends that the gospel be proven with supernatural signs. God never expected the church to go out and try to win the world by force of argument alone. He never intended that the church go out and just try to to reason with people and persuade them without any evidence to back up our claims. He intended that we be not just natural witnesses, not just tell a story, but be witnesses with power to back it up. That was the plan of God. It's always been the plan of God. It's still the plan of God. Now, we're going to get into, you know, this idea, well, the sign gifts, they ceased. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll examine that and find out if that's true. But he said here, these signs will follow those who believe. How many of you are believers today? These signs, he said, are supposed to follow those who believe. These signs will follow. Let me me just say it the way it's written. These signs will follow those who believe. I don't have any of these signs in my life. Well, that raises an important question. What do you believe? These signs will follow the believing ones. Is the way that actually reads in the Greek. These signs will follow the believing ones. If you are truly a believer in Christ, these signs are supposed to be following you. Now, this has been said many times, we don't follow the signs, they follow us. But you have to believe in them. These signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. Uh Uh-oh. You lose about two-thirds of the church right there. Come on, pastor. You don't really believe there are demons. Look around. Look at our world, how messed up it is. Unclean demons are everywhere around us. If you read most modern commentaries, when I say modern, written in the last 100 years or so, 200 years, and I've got shelves full of them, when they explain Jesus' ministry where he cast out devils, very often they say, well, they try to explain this. They say, well, what you have to understand is that at the time of Christ, in those times in Bible days, people believed that certain illnesses or certain behaviors were the result of evil spirits. It was a superstition that people had that kind of explains why the Bible says Jesus cast out demons. Well, the problem with that is, if, is, is that Jesus went along with it. If, those, if that was just superstition, there really weren't any evil spirits. It was just something that people thought as a way to explain weird behavior or, or, or sickness and disease. Then either one of two things. Either Jesus didn't know that or else he knew it and went along with it. Which would make him a participant in promoting 
the superstition, which we know that's not possible. Nor is it possible that Jesus wouldn't have known. So the fact that Jesus cast out demons tells us that demons are real. Now, what on earth, and particularly in the Bible, where do you get the idea that demons existed then, but they don't exist today? Where in the world could you find such an, uh, such an idea? It's not in, it doesn't even make sense. At what point in history can we give a date where, you know, demons all left the earth? You know, in the third century or something. No, there's no such thing. Demon spirits inhabit our world and they inhabit people. And, and in order for people to be set free, very often, not all the time, sometimes they can just hear the gospel, believe it, and then be set free that way. But sometimes those demons have to be cast out. Amen. We are living in a time where, we, where there's a lot of demonic activity in our, in our world, in our nation, in our community. Amen. And people don't like to talk about it. But in order for the gospel to be fully preached, these demons are going to have to be dealt with. And the bab- one purpose, not the only purpose, but one purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit was to give Christians power to cast out demons. Praise the Lord. Well, these signs are to follow those who believe. Amen. Because of religion and because of the light of Christianity that uh, in, in recent centuries has been so strong in the, the West, a lot of this demonic activity has been suppressed. But as the Western world has turned more and more away from God, we're seeing more and more demonic activity. But because a lot of people don't believe in it, everything is explained away or drugged away. People with demon spirits oftentimes are just drugged and, 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 uh, and, and, those, and, and so those outbursts, those reactions are, are, are suppressed by heavy medication. But that doesn't bring deliverance. People need deliverance in this world. Amen. Well, let's go on to the next one, and I'll make another point about that. In my name, they will cast out demons. In my name, they will speak with new tongues. Well, should we be speaking with tongues? These signs will follow those who believe. Do these signs follow you? Amen. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. This is talking about supernatural protection, immunization from, or or, or, uh, immunity from uh, dangerous uh, snakes and and that sort of things. In other words, uh, unusual things. This isn't really talking about sickness and disease. We have a covenant of healing to cover that. This is talking about like when Paul was on the island of Malta there, and he reached into that... uh, a bundle of sticks and there was a viper in there and it came out and fastened itself on Paul's hand and he just shook it off into the fire and went his way. Bible says he felt no harm. 
Well, that's what this is talking about. It's not talking about people going and looking for snakes to prove something. Amen. Uh, if they will take up serpents and then drink anything deadly, it will, by, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Praise God. Well, these signs are supposed to follow believers. And they're still supposed to follow believers today. Now notice it says after then, that the, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them, confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Again, God intends for the gospel to be proclaimed with miraculous signs. Not, not just the signs. We are to preach the gospel. They went out and preached everywhere. The Lord worked with them, confirming the message, concern, con- confirming the word that they preached by the accompanying signs. It's our job to preach the message. It's God's word to confirm it with signs following, signs that accompany the message. But if when we don't believe, if we don't believe in the signs, they won't follow. Because God always has to work through people. What are the signs? Now, this is not intended to be an exhaustive list here. In, in, in Mark chapter, chapter 16. We have other signs that, that are in the New Testament. But let's look at the first sign, casting out devils. Well, who cast them out? Notice God worked with them, confirming the word through the accompanying signs, but the signs that he, that he, that he gave and authorized and, and, and produced still had to come through the believers. They had to cast out demons. They had to do it. They spoke with tongues. They, if anything deadly happened to them, they felt no harm. They laid hands on the sick and they recovered. The Lord worked with them. See, these miraculous signs, these are not, these are not, uh, these are not resonant uh, miraculous things that, that just, re, that, that you can just operate when you want to. These are things that the Lord worked with them. Now, even, even we know from looking at the New Testament, when believers are filled with the Spirit, they speak with other tongues. And we know from experience that you can speak with tongues anytime you want to, but that's not a sign. The sign of speaking with tongues is something that happens when, when God is moving in a powerful way like we saw in the book of Acts and they spoke with tongues and they were speaking in all these different languages and people heard it. Those are signs to the world. So the point here is that when for God to move through us, we have to, we have to depend on, upon his working. We have to, I'll say it again. We have to depend upon his working. We are not going to win the world by ourselves. We're not going to win the world with our best efforts. We're going to win the world when we trust the Holy Spirit to help us, when we trust the Lord to work with us. He doesn't work apart from us. We don't work apart from him. We both have to work together. We need the Lord's working as much as he needs our working. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Well, it's, 
I think I'll stop here today because I'm going into another section that's going to take a little while. And after all, I have been going 40 minutes, so actually a little more than that because I didn't start the clock right away. So I don't know how long I've been up here. But anyway, it's long enough. Praise the Lord. Here's what I want is I want you to examine the Scriptures daily. See if these things are true. If they're true, then open your heart to them. Amen. If they're not true, if, if, I'm, if I'm preaching something that's not in the Bible, here's what I want you to do. Reject it. Amen. Don't entertain it. I don't, if me or any other preacher preaches something that can't be found in the Bible, and I, and I don't mean just, you know, some little idea hanging, you know, by some little thread of, of, a, of a scripture taken out of context. I'm talking about like today, we saw verse after verse after verse that, that, that showed us what we're talking about is, is consistent in the Bible. If you can see conclusive evidence that something in the Bible is true and it's for us, then we ought to have a hunger. We ought to have a hunger for everything God, God has. I'm just in studying and preparing for this, I'm more hungry. I'm more hungry than I was before. Just preparing for this because I see some areas where, where I could be doing better. I see some areas where we as a church can do better. We can have more. We can walk in more. Amen. We need the demonstration of God's power in the church to win this world. And that's what God ordained. Like I said before, he did, not order, he did not intend that the church go out and try to win the world by, by you know, just crafty logic and just power of persuasion. He intended us to have something that was real in our life that when we give witness and that God backs it up, it is compelling. It, is, it, is, it, it, is, it causes people, it gets their attention. It causes them to tremble. When they realize the reality of the risen Christ, it's all about giving evidence that Jesus is alive. Glory to God. That he is Lord of all. So I want all of us to uh, renew our commitment to walking in all that God has for us. Not just being satisfied for this, supernatural manifestation or this blessing or this other thing. But don't be satisfied until we have it all. Now again, we, it's not something that we can do on our own without the Lord. The Lord worked with them. They didn't work without the Lord. But let's, let's determine all of us to be open and, and available vessels that his power can flow through us. That we can be the kind of witness that God intends for us to be before this lost and, and, and degenerate world that's all around us. People are lost. They're confused. They're, they're, they're nearly crazy today. And only a gospel confirmed in power is going to make a difference in this world. Amen. Glory to God. Well, let's stand up. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Now, next week, the Lord willing, I'm going to teach on, I'm going to answer the question, have tongues ceased? Because there's a lot of people, and I probably the 
the majority of, of Christian denominations, certainly the majority of Christian denominations, and, and no doubt the majority of Christians today have been taught that speaking with tongues, as far as God's part, his involvement in it, ceased many, many centuries ago, and that it's not for today. We're going to examine that. All of that comes from one scripture, and it's, and it's in the 13th chapter of the book of Acts, or the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, and uh, I think it's somewhere down along the, uh, around the 8th verse, somewhere in there, where it says, tongues shall cease. It's the only place that's mentioned. Well, we're going we're gonna to look at the entire passage and look from its own context. Look into what was actually said, not just take that little slender phrase out of its, out of its setting. We're going to look at the whole context and find out uh, what that actually meant. Look at that. The Lord, Like I said, the Lord willing, unless he leads differently, we'll do that next week. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Every believer... Every Christian should be filled with the Holy Spirit. Every believer needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So, well, you know, I'm just not all that red hot interested in being that kind of a great witness for the Lord. You know, a lot of Christians won't actually say that, but in essence, that's the way they live. They're just satisfied with life. I, got a, I have a good life. I have a good, you know, house, home nice car, have a nice family, you know, good retirement. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm, I have it pretty good and, and I love the Lord and I believe in Christ and I know I'm going to heaven. And, and uh, as far as, you know, being a, a red hot fiery witness for Christ and casting out devils and speaking with tongues and laying hands on the sick, you know, that's just not my bag. I'm not really interested in that. You know, what, you know what that is, don't you? That is a lukewarm Christian. <laughs> because we've been given the assignment of winning the lost. While we sit at home, you know, in our comfortable recliner, and we eat our nice food and go to a restaurant like my wife and I are going to go to do today. It's our anniversary. We're going to go out and have lunch together. <laughs> well, it was yesterday. And we're going to eat some nice food and we have a nice car and, you know, some nice clothes and have a nice house. But the world around us is going to hell. And God, God's not opposed to us enjoying the nice things of life. He, he's for that. He provides that. But our, our priorities need to be higher than that. Amen. And if you're not interested in being a, a witness to people, being a witness, being a powerful witness to people around you, you really need to search your heart some more because that's, that's, that's really lukewarmness. And we need to be shaken out of that. I said we need to be shaken out of that. The church is going to have to sh get shaken out of that. Either shake yourself or God will shake you. The church is going to have to be shaken out of lukewarmness before Jesus returns. Amen. I believe in prosperity. But so much of the church world is just so consumed with money and things and nice stuff. Our, our, our motivation in life needs to be 
all-consuming. Needs to be all-consuming in leading people to Christ. Setting, in order to lead people to Christ, you have to set them free. You set them free when you come to them in the power of the Holy Ghost. You're able to speak words that, that, that the Holy Spirit gives that you didn't even think up. That come up on the inside of you and you speak right into their heart. And you don't even realize that you're addressing the very need of their life. And you're bold to lay hands on them as the Spirit uh, leads you. And you lay hands on people or you see people with, 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 with demonic power in their life. Cast those spirits out of them. Praise the Lord. You're getting sketchy there, Pastor. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what the Bible teaches. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Glory to God. Father, we submit ourselves to you today. We want to be the church we're supposed to be. We want to be the body of Christ, the people of God that you have chosen us to be ordained us to be the kind of people we must be in order to be the witness in this world that must that must be before Christ returns I pray for all of us myself and every person here that we will be stirred That we will be stirred to pull ourselves free from complacency, lethargy, lukewarmness, backsliding, and hunger again for all that you have for us. That we once again, Lord, our eyes will be open to the world around us, the needs of people around us, to the spiritual condition of people that we see every day on a regular basis and we say nothing and demonstrate nothing. Father, help us, Lord, to see how we can do differently, how we can do better, how we can answer the call of evangelism, the call of being witnesses to people around us. Glory to God. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.